Hello, it's a wonderful privilege to be able to engage with you marvellous people again during this weekend service and to continue with the fourth instalment of the episode of June. If you have been following this series, you probably would have realised by now that a distinctive feature of Jude's episode is that it is one of the shortest books of the Bible and yet packed full of revelational truths. Another unique feature of Jude's writing in this episode is in the warnings and assurances given to the Church of Jesus Christ in the last days of ungodliness, or apostasy, as the KJV puts it. This is not to say apostasy is not mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, but nowhere else is this subject addressed in such a vivid and dramatic manner, warning us with awe-inspiring language and telling in detail of an imminent danger. You can almost imagine it to be like the warning signs of bright flashing lights along a highway in a form of flashing orange arrows near roadworks or a curve or the blinking red lights along a dangerous or dark stretch of the road, warning us to be alert, to be careful and don't get into an accident or trouble. Or if you prefer to imagine something closer to home, this little episode is like a burglar alarm. Apost apostates have broken into the church they came in through the back door where no one was watching. Sounds familiar, right? It's as real today as it was in the time of Jude's writing. So today, I shall be sharing on assurance in days of ungodliness. Eh? But you say, Pastor, the title of a sermon is, Listen, Jesus is Coming. Yes, you're absolutely right. You can have assurance in these days of ungodliness as we are living in the last days because Jesus is returning. Amen? At this point, you have noticed I used the term apostasy and ungodliness interchangeably. Apostasy refers to the extreme degree or end result of ungodliness in someone that once held to faith. That is, a Christian. And you would also have realised that Jude was writing mainly to Christians. That's right, Christians, the church-going community. Because older translations like KJV and NAV see the urgency in Jude's tone of writing as inspired by the Holy Spirit and sense the danger. They use a stronger term to describe ungodliness among some in the church that Jude addressed, apostasy. Over time, could we in this present-day church have watered down this term apostasy to just being ungodly? You might be thinking now, what is the definition of apostasy or an apostate in a biblical sense? That's a very good question. Before we go into that, let me just open in a word of prayer. Lord God, as we consider this topic today, to this service, Lord, may you teach us, may you guide us. May Lord, even as we sit beneath the shadow of a cross, your revelation, the illumination of the Holy Spirit be our guide, that I, your servant, Lord, add not even an iota, a bit to that which you have to say to your people, and not even take away any bit, Lord, as I surrender this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just so we are on the same page, an apostate is not an apostle, okay? An apostasy came from the root word apostasia, in Greek, which means a defection or revolt from belief or faith. And a person that does so is an apostate. Whereas an apostle 
The root word is apostolos, literally, one who's sent off with a calling or in faith. So that these two descriptions are complete opposites, although they sound similar. Essentially, apostasy is the abandonment of one's faith or belief in God. And the Bible also describes it as an unbelieving self-will movement away from God and strongly warns against it. Hebrews 3.12 puts it this way, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In addressing this pressing issue, Jude repeatedly warns us about being ungodly, and you can find this reference scattered five times throughout the short 25 verses of this episode in the NIV. However, it's not all cut and dry. Where one day a Christian is fully trusting in the Lord Jesus, and the next day the person completely abandons all faith. Apostasy is a subtle and surreptitious process that can appear through many diverse forms. Can you or I become an apostate? Are there really any among us? These are hard questions, but we can find some answers as we explore together this short section from Jude's epistle, Jude verses 14 to 19. Let us read together Jude 14 to 19. Enoch, the seven from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convert all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in the ungodliness and all of the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Now, this section of Jude speaks to us primarily about the pitfalls of being ungodly or committing apostasy in the form of three warnings or reminders. It begins with an ancient prophecy about the return of Jesus and then goes on to the imminent judgment of the ungodly and ending with an apostolic reminder with the apostles' authority to address these issues. Jude's first warning to us has to do with an ancient prophecy. In verse 14, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone. Now, we do not have a record of it being said by Enoch, but Jude affirms that it belongs to Enoch by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jude says this was a prophecy made by Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam. Jude identifies him in this way so that we do not mistake him for the son of Cain that was also named Enoch. We do not know a whole lot about Enoch as he is mentioned in only four places in the Bible, and this is one of them. Among the many biblical events Jude used to serve as warnings in the episode, Enoch stood out remarkably as a character that remained faithful in his walk with the Lord God and 
finish well. Genesis 5.24 recorded Enoch as having walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. What does this mean that Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more? For God took him away. Turn to Hebrews 11 verse 5 where there is another reference to Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Enoch was living in a time where ungodliness was rampant and getting progressively worse. Nevertheless, he lived a faithful life, pleasing to God and trusted in God his deliverer. How do we know ungodliness was rampant? Just three generations later, during his grandson Noah's time, evilness had grown so great that Genesis 6-5 records, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Then came judgment and the great flood during Noah's time. We learn that Enoch walked with God. And here in Hebrews, we learn that his walk was by faith because he believed in faith, the promise of God to send a saviour. He lived his life with that belief and he had witnesses. Those that knew him knew that he believed and this was pleasing to God. Because of Enoch's faith in God, he was translated and did not see death. God just took him up to heaven Enoch is a type of all believers who will be raptured when Christ returns for the church. Remember in Revelation series, we learned that during tribulation, those still living that know and love Jesus will be snatched up to heaven to meet the Lord in the air. While those who died in the faith will have their bodies resurrected from their graves to be reunited with their spirits. We shall be removed from earth just before God begins to pour out His wrath on earth in judgment. Just as Enoch was snatched from the earth before the judgment of the flood, Noah and his family were saved through the flood. Enoch was saved from the flood, just as the godly will be saved from God's wrath, poured out on the godly, on the ungodly, during the last days. Let me assure you too, that as certain as it is for Jesus to return to judge the ungodly, He has done all that is necessary for the rescue of the godly, for His church, for those that walk in faith with Him, like Enoch did. Some of you that did your maths homework would have worked out that it would have been at least 7,000 years since the Great Flood, just after this prophecy was given. Now that's a pretty long time. And in all this time, the prophecy of the Lord coming with His thousands upon thousands of His Holy One has yet to be fulfilled. Now, just how sure are we that the Lord is definitely going to return for His church, for you and I? There are two things we have to consider here. This prophecy is only meant to be fulfilled in the last days or end times, before the return of Jesus. And we are living in these times. Jesus himself made references to them 
as in Matthew 24, as did Daniel in Daniel 12. Interestingly, even the global scientific community is not too optimistic about us not living in the end times. With the Doomsday Clock, maintained since 1947 by the members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, at the closest it ever had been to midnight, which is the end of the world, at 100 seconds, just 100 seconds, in this year, 2021. The second consideration is not about speculating on the exact time of the fulfilment of prophecy when Jesus returns, but to be always prepared, to be always prepared, so that when the Lord returns, we shall be ready. Like in the parable of the virgins in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, the five wise ones have the lamps trimmed and oil filled in order to welcome the bridegroom. They are the godly members of the church that will be spared from the judgment and the wrath of God, unlike the ungodly ones or the apostates, likened to the foolish virgins of the parable. Of the two groups, which will you end up in? Would you rather be living it up and have a foot in each boat, partly in the world and partly in the church? Or would you rather wholeheartedly and faithfully follow Jesus all the way like Enoch did and be whisked off into the Lord's presence and hear the glowing accolade, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's look at the imminent judgment that awaits the former a little bit more in detail. Verse 15 of Jude goes on to say this, to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defined words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Even as the Lord Jesus' return is to execute judgment of the ungodly, his mission isn't all out to search and destroy or to judge and destroy the ungodly. 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us that it is in God's nature to be patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As it is written in verse 15 of Jude 2, Jesus returns to judge everyone, yes, and to convict of all the ungodly acts and of all the defiant words. Now, to convict carries the connotation of bringing about an attitude of remorse and repentance, a divine transformation. With this attitude, there's still an open way back to the Lord for the ungodly that are repentant. However, it could be any day now that God's patience will run out and the Lord will come with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all. Jesus, the righteous judge, will convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all that has been said against Him by ungodly sinners. The just judge of all the earth is just at the door and His judgment is going to be soon. It reminds me of a situation when someone is convicted of a criminal charge and totally in remorse while awaiting execution or punishment. One such person was Charles or Chuck Colson. 
Some of you may have heard of him as a Christian minister or the founder of Prison Fellowship International. It may surprise you to know that he was one of those implicated and convicted as the hatchet man, the right-hand man of President Nixon in the US Watergate scandal in 1974. Yeah, it was some time ago, some of you weren't even born then, but this was worldwide news at that time. Everyone heard about it. So during 1974, while awaiting trial, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit and came to accept the Lord Jesus as his personal saviour. He was convicted of his criminally exploits because at that time, even though he confessed, few believed in his conversion. He went on to plead guilty to the charges against him when he could have been let off lightly had he pleaded otherwise. After spending the longest time in prison among all those incarcerated in the Watergate scandal, he went on to start a successful ministry among prison inmates, fought for prison reforms and for Christian advocacy in controversial issues like abortion, teaching of evolution in schools and same-sex marriage. Here was a life transformed by the convicting resurrection power of Jesus Christ in the face of imminent judgment. A life of ungodliness changed completely into a godly, purpose-driven existence for Jesus. Chuck Colson's testimony should cause us to pause and examine our own lives and to repent if we find any ungodly ways in our lives. I'm not saying that any of us are these ungodly Christians that Jude is talking about, but it's easy to be caught up in the ungodly ways of the world. It is easy to become complacent about the ungodly deeds and speech of the world and even participate in them. Jude goes on in verse 16 to talk about the grumblers, the fault finders, the boasters and the flatterers. If you are not careful, it's easy to follow these characteristics and to allow them to become part of our lives. Jude says some ungodly people are grumblers. Someone who grumbles is never happy about anything. They never have a word of encouragement. Instead, the grumbling and complaining only tears down. Are you a grumbler or complainer? Or does it sound like someone you know? Now, husbands don't look at a wife or wife don't look at husbands, yeah? I know that I've been caught out at times and I must stop and confess this ungodly way to the Lord and ask Him to forgive me for it. How about you? Jude goes on to describe fault finders as those who always find fault in anything that's done. Nothing pleases them. And they always look for the best. They don't pitch in to help, but always ready to find fault, telling you how they could have done it better. Never building people up, but just tearing down and exposing the failings of others. Are you a fault finder? Or do you pitch in by sharing your ideas, encouraging and building others up instead? Then, there are the boasters and the flatterers that speak arrogantly about themselves and how much better they are than other people. But at the same time, they will use flattery if it gives them an advantage. Do you speak arrogantly? Do you flatter others to gain an advantage? These are ungodly ways and deeds, behaviours that God condemns. How likely do we view God's judgement? If we are serious, then we must stop focusing on ourselves 
we need to focus on producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Galatians 5.22 tells us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there are no law. My third point is on Jude's apostolic reminder. I shared about Enoch's prophetic warning, then Jesus' imminent judgment, and finally, Jude's apostolic reminder. Verse 17 says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. That's the same by Nicholas Sparks. He's a popular writer. That proximity breeds familiarity and familiarity breeds comfort. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, as was James. They would have grown up together and developed a deep bond of friendship and brotherhood. So when Jesus manifested the God-hate characteristics as he began his ministry, the all-too-family Jesus did not make much of an impact on either Jude or James till after his resurrection. But after that, after that, they were radically transformed as Jesus' disciples. Even so, Jude and James seldom, if ever, highlighted their family ties or exploited authority of being Jesus' brother, indicating the understanding of the huge gap between God and man, despite familial ties. So then, Jude capitalized on the authority invested in apostles. Why did he do so? Because many of the apostles were still alive at the time of writing of his epistle and moving in the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit. A large number of the disciples at the time might also have met the apostles personally. The apostles appeared larger than life. The power of God in them were real and they were legendary. The apostolic power and authority were invoked to deal with the characteristics of the ungodly. The same Holy Spirit that worked in the apostles is still today alive and working in each one of us. So moving forward 2,000 years later, the ungodliness has remained around us and perhaps even grown a bit more. In our postmodern culture, there are no lack of scoffers that despise, that despise authority and driven by defiling passion or ungodly desires. You see them everywhere around you. They are the ones that dwell in conspiracy theories and are purveyor of fake news in the social media. They question every authority, from the medical to the government to social constructs to science and so on. Driven by the blind passion of an ungodly cause known only to themselves. The end result? Divisiveness, both within and without the church. After causing major divisions in opinions. Jude 19 rings so true, as these are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Wow! Do not have the spirit. 
That's serious, isn't it? We started off with talking about apostates. These are the ones described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, that have a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They do not have the Holy Spirit. I keep on using they this and they that, as if we are, the only, we are only talking about somebody else. But hey, I don't mean to offend anyone or be rude here. But let's be a bit real here with ourselves, shall we? Are we talking about an elephant in the room? And is this really happening here in our midst? We're talking about the Word of God here. And this is what it says, not my words, not the words of Sam Kyung, but Jude verses 14 to 19. In addition, 2 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, assures us that while the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, it goes on to warn and to keep the unrighteous, the ungodly, under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Now, dear friends, which do you belong to? The former or the latter? If it is you or I that the Rima Word of God is referring to, then let's respond to it wherever you are. No matter what position you or I are in, be we a pastor, a teacher, a leader, a core member, or just a plain church member, a boss, an employee, a parent or child, husband or wife, the Holy Spirit is speaking now. Amen? This is a time as good as any. You have never been to our online prayer altar before. Especially if you have never committed to Jesus Christ before. You have always been there, hovering at the fringes, but never really jumped in. Today, today is the day you realise that Jesus Christ is the God who knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The link for prayer is displayed here and it is open. If you feel a tugging or prompting in your heart, go to it anytime you're ready, okay? But just bear with me a little bit longer for I'm just finishing up here. I was just saying earlier that Jude and James were radically transformed by Jesus' resurrection. Why? Why was it so? It was as if all their years of friendship and brotherly bond were nothing, plain nothing, compared to the immensely life-shaking realisation that this is the real McCoy, the real power of God, fully manifested in Jesus Christ. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus took away all the mundaneness, the shame, the humiliation, offences, the sin, the unworthiness, literally all their ungodliness and replace it with Christ's godliness in them. They must have felt exactly as in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. They knew that in Jesus Christ, there was an ancient prophecy that will be fulfilled 
when he returns, dispensing imminent judgment for the ungodly. And until then, the apostolic reminder both assures us of the Lord's rescue for the godly and his punishment of the ungodly. At the end of the day, it boils down only to the resurrection power of Christ that can break the yoke of sin and ungodliness in us. And it's the same resurrection power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, awaiting the ripening of time when He shall return with thousands upon thousands of holy ones. When that occurs, there'll be only two huge groups of people left standing before God's judgment seat or the great white throne. The godly and the ungodly people To put it in a slightly different perspective, let me borrow the words of C.S. Lewis. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those that say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. God gave us all the dignity of self-choice. The godly will choose the former, while the ungodly the latter. In closing, I'm just going to pose this question to you. Think carefully before you answer. With which kind of people will you stand in the end? Let me pray for you. Father God, we just want to thank you for this moment, this Kairos moment, this precious moment that wherever we are in our living room, in our workspace, maybe out on the road, even with a mobile device, Lord, that you are there with us. You have said in your words, your last words, to your very own people, your disciples, Lord Jesus, that will never leave you, that will never fail nor forsake you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that whatever you said in your word, for you are the living word, the Rima word in our lives, that you are with us, wherever we are. And today, Lord, I just want to pray for my dear friends, my brothers and sisters out there, that, Lord, you shield them, you keep them, you preserve each one of them from the ungodly ways of the world, that you bring them into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That will be their counsel, their guide, and the light to their path. Lord, I pray, Father, for protection over my dear brothers, over your church, Lord, your protection, the church for which you shed your blood upon the cross for each one of them. The Lord, you keep them, you preserve them until the very last day when they will come before you and you will tell them in your very own words, face to face, Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to commit each one of them into your hands for I pray this in your very own precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's so wonderful just to be together as God's people considering His Word. Even as we close, let me pray a benediction over each one of you. And I'll take the very closing words of this same episode of Jude. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault, and with great joy 
to the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Go in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shalom. Shalom.